Hello, and welcome to the AgriFood Safety Produce Bites podcast, where we discuss all things produce safety and dive into the rules and regulations surrounding the Food Safety Modernization Act Produce Safety Rule. Hi, everyone. This is Landon Tietel, a produce safety technician in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Hi, I'm Micah Hutchison. I am also a produce safety technician, and I work with growers in Southeast Michigan and the Thumb. Micah and I just so happen to be the two most seasoned technicians around in the state. You can say oldest. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So Micah and I are here today to come together in the spirit of Halloween and talk about some produce safety horror stories that we've seen in our collective decade of experience working on farm with growers and talk about what farms are doing to address these frightful food safety situations in ways that is realistic and also effective. So I think one of the scariest things I see is the use of hand sanitizer in place of hand washing. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. And I don't think there's any bad intentions about it. I'm just so surprised how many people out there aren't aware that hand sanitizer is not a replacement for hand washing. I would say that's most people. To be completely honest, I don't really know if I knew that before taking this job. So, Landa, why isn't hand sanitizer a good replacement for hand washing? Well, that's a great question. And I always like to preface this explanation by saying that using hand sanitizer is better than not doing anything, than not even attempting to clean your hands at all. However, it's not really good enough. So while it's better than nothing, it's really not good enough, especially when we're talking about um, situations where people are going to be handling fresh produce, so any sort of food contact uh, activity, whether that's harvesting or packing or you know washing, those sorts of things. And the reason for that is that hand sanitizer, the way it works is that it binds to organic matter. And so if there's any sort of dirt or debris in your hands, it's going to bind to that. And even if your hands are don't look visibly dirty, the natural oils on your skin is also an organic matter and the hand sanitizer will bind to the natural oils on your skin, essentially making the hand sanitizer ineffective. So while the bottle says it'll kill 99.9% of germs, if you haven't actually washed your hands before using the hand sanitizer, that percentage is going to be much, much lower depending on the level of dirtiness that your hands are. As we often say, you can't sanitize a dirty surface. You cannot sanitize a dirty surface, hands included. Hands included. Um, One of the best visual examples of this I've seen is, have you seen Phil Toko's video on like washing his hands where he puts Nutella on his hands and then uses hand sanitizer? No, but I'm picturing it right now. And I, I'm just, I'm like imagining the smearing. It is a great visual example of how hand sanitizer works on like dirty hands versus how soap and hand washing works to remove that gross Nutella off of his hands. 
all I can picture right now is like my toddler after she's eaten Nutella. <laughs> no amount of baby wipes can remove the Nutella from her face. No, you got to get in there with soap and scrub. That's great. Um, the other one other analogy that I really like is comparing it to uh, never brushing your teeth and only using mouthwash. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? No, <laughs> I kid. <laughs> I would. I think our dentists would say otherwise. <laughs> You're gonna want to actually physically wash something with soap and water, and then give it a rinse with clean water before a sanitizing step occurs. Scrub your hands, soap and water. Twenty seconds. Twenty seconds. <laughs> Twenty seconds. And. Make sure you're drying your hands. Single-use towels or reusable towel, but use it only once, and then it gets washed. Speaking of reusable hand towels, I have seen some really bad ones. What do you mean? I mean, I have seen quite a few off-color, maybe crusty. Crusty! Oh. <laughs> like, crusty. I've been kind of dirty. I've been used a lot but I'm still hanging here next to the hand-washing station. Just never been washed. Never. Can I tell you a produce safety horror story of my own? Micah, that's this whole podcast. No, I mean like me personally. Yes. <laughs> so as a produce safety technician, we had a big shed cleanup at our district. We do a lot of like, you know, community cleanups and community events. So we pick up a lot of trash. We had one of our employees, her in-laws allowed us to dump trash in their dumpster on their farm. So we go to the farm and they had baby pigs. And I'm a sucker for pigs in general, but definitely baby pigs. So I'm petting the pigs. I'm in hog heaven, pun intended. And then we're done and I go home and on my way home, I start eating the pretzels that were in my car. A couple days later, I had E. coli. Of course you did, Micah. <laughs> you gave yourself a foodborne illness. I gave myself a foodborne illness. <laughs> so the, the critical point here, you didn't wash your hands after playing with the pigs and before eating, which is that hand to mouth contact, which is almost certainly how you gave yourself that illness. Oh, absolutely. And it happened so easily. And even myself with a pretty healthy immune system, I was out for like 10 days. Gosh, I, and honestly, it could have been a lot worse. So I'm happy you're okay. Yeah, that's, you know, healthy immune system. I have another story, but this, okay. is, this is way before I was a produce safety technician. So I used to work for a local nonprofit. And we ran quite a big garden that donated all the produce to the community. So every week we would bring all of our used grocery bags to the garden and pack them with produce. Our used store grocery bags, we would put raw, fresh produce in them. Mm -hmm. Totally unaware if we had had chicken in them before or any other things that could make like could put bacteria on the produce and then make the people we were donating the food to sick. 
we also didn't have a hand washing station. Oof. And it wasn't until the produce safety technician who was in this position before me did a risk assessment on that garden that any of us realized, oh, these are things that are of concern. Right. It's, yeah, yeah it's that, that aha moment of, oh, I never thought of that. Yes. You know what else isn't ideal? What? Animals in the field. And I'm not talking about working animals or horses used to plow or, you know, farm working animals, but I mean dogs or chickens. Well, for the sake of seeing different sides of the same coin, I would argue that a lot of farm dogs are working dogs. Not all of them, but I think a lot of them do have a job. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, obviously it depends on the farm and the dog, but I have seen a lot of dogs that I would say have a job, and that's usually something to do with, like, excluding wildlife. So I've seen dogs that are trained to run deer out of the field, or I've even actually seen dogs that were trained to were trained as mousers. So catching mice and voles and ground squirrels and things like that. So kind of wildlife control. And that to me, um, obviously having a dog in the field is a risk. And so that sort of enters, it opens up the conversation of, okay, so I have a food safety risk and that's a dog, but you know they're providing a benefit to food safety as well. So they are both a risk and a benefit to food safety. So how do I manage the risk to still access the benefits that they are providing without compromising the food safety of my crops? So while the rule does not prohibit the use of working animals, you're saying minimize food risk and kind of follow that recommendation of no working animals in the field when the edible portion of the crop is present? I I guess I am saying it all boils down to risk management. And I think that that's kind of the whole point of the produce safety rule is um, saying, yes, I have risks to food safety. I know what they are. And I have a plan in place to manage those risks. And so if you know that you have working animals and you know that they are a risk to food safety, what is your management plan so that they're not causing more harm than good? Whether that's, you know, training them to never ever use the bathroom in the field or keeping them um, out of, like only letting, training them so they're only allowed in like the, the walkways or the tractor lanes. I think that the management policy can look a lot of different ways. My emphasis is just, you know, we need to acknowledge that it is a risk and then decide on a management policy so you're not compromising your entire field of crops just so your dog can run deer out of the field. My dogs would make terrible working animals. I can't get one to not pee in our basement without a block. I couldn't imagine controlling her in a produce field. I, mine is very good at staying out of the garden. I worked very hard on that. Mine are terrible. (laughs) Um, So Landon, working animals is something. What about chicken pruning? Does that include, would that be included as a working animal? Chicken pruning? Yeah, 
yeah, using your chicken to prune your plants or get bugs in the middle of your produce fields. Chickens are so dirty. I would say, I would say in most cases, chickens should never be allowed in produce production areas. Chickens poop a lot and everywhere. Unless you have a diaper on a chicken, there is no way it is not pooping every, what, three, five steps? They poop everywhere. And so I guess if a produce production area is completely harvested, it's the end of the growing season, and you want to let your chickens in there to, like, scratch it up and, like, have a little treat for whatever left is remaining in there but you are not going to go in there and harvest anything else and they're going to be out in plenty of time before you know you're you're planting again in the spring I don't love it but I it's not not allowed I've always kind of looked at it as maybe you know following that 120 days of the U.S. organic standard of spreading manure on fields yeah so the 9120 day rule is so from the day that the raw manure hits the soil to the day that you harvest your your next crop um for 90 days for crops that do not directly come into contact with the soil and 120 days for crops that do come into direct contact with that soil yes yeah, so like leafy greens would be that longer right or carrots or radishes. carrots Onions, anything that grows in the ground, that like touches the ground or can be splashed by the soil through like irrigation. Right. Versus a trellised tomato plant that's not going to touch the ground. That could be, that falls in the 90D category. And so, so if you allow enough time between when the chickens are on that, on that space and when you are planting and harvesting again, theoretically, it could all be okay. You know, I'm already seeing a a theme emerging in our conversation here. The answer to all of the food safety risks is it depends. It depends. I thought you were going to say, stop believing everything you read on the internet. (laughs) That's a good one too. (laughs) Ask a produce safety technician. Yes, ask a produce safety technician. Uh, look for reliable resources. And I guess I do just want to throw it out there that the produce safety rule is very non-prescriptive and that it doesn't say, you know, you, you have to do things this specific way to reduce your food safety risks. It's, it's more, you can't do this so figure out a way to do it without doing this. And it's very open-ended and it's it gives the farmer a lot of wiggle room to find a solution that works for their particular farm. There's a lot of right ways of doing things. Landon, I would completely agree. I think there is one thing that the rule is not flexible on. Yes. And that is the use of raw human manure on produce fields. Human manure. Manure. We talked about the 120 90 day rule for raw manure, but that does not apply to human waste. Oh, so you're only talking about animal poop. 
Why is human poop a greater risk to food safety than animal poop? Human poop can contain so many different pathogens. Bacteria, viruses, parasites, it can include some medication, heavy metals. And those pathogens potentially in human poop can include the bacteria and the pathogens we hear that get people sick, like E. coli and salmonella. Who better to get people sick than other people? Exactly. I mean, like, don't get me wrong, animals can carry and spread human pathogens too, but humans are kind of guaranteed to do that. While animals can make us sick, humans are just better at making us sick. (laughs) We're so good at it. We're so good. (laughs) From my understanding, human poop can only be used if it is treated in a very different way than we compost animal manures. Right. So you can't throw it in a pile and and heat it up to 131 degrees Fahrenheit the way that we treat animal poop to turn it into compost. It has to be done in an industrial sort of composter and that we're talking about biosolids. You know, this actually, it kind of comes full circle here because, you know, we were talking about human poop kind of through like a soil amendment lens, but you can also get human poop on foods through inadequate hand washing. And so, you know, tying it back to that first scenario that we talked about where hand sanitizer is not good enough, you have to wash your hands. It's kind of like a full circle, a full moon. It's a full Full, moon. Full Halloween moon. (laughs) It always comes back to hand washing. And if anyone has questions on how to build a low cost, cheapish, portable hand washing station, contact your local produce safety technician. Yes, we've got we've got the plans. Last year we've had some pretty exciting news as produce safety technicians. Our hand washing stations, something that would be eligible for cost share for farmers. Yes, if you need that one little extra push to get a hand wash station on your farm or get another hand wash station on your farm or something else even that could directly benefit the food safety of your operation, reach out to your local produce safety tech. We, uh, As of just this last year, we have a little bit of funding available to give out to folks for things like that, things that are going to directly benefit the food safety of a, their farm's practices. Well, you know, Micah, that wasn't so spooky after all. No, fortunately, our job is a lot more tame than what I expected. We can credit farmers to that. I mean, no one wants to get people sick. And by and large, farms are already doing the right thing. I think just sometimes a little bit of education and some outside perspective can make elevate the farm that much further up the food safety ladder. Absolutely. And in five years, the only person I know who has gotten sick is me. (laughs) And I did that to myself. Hard lessons learned. (laughs) Hard lessons learned. Links to anything referenced in this episode are provided in our show notes, which can be accessed on the website at canr.msu.edu slash agrifood underscore safety. Thank you to everyone for listening, and don't forget to tune in next month for another episode of our Produce Bites podcast.